Okay, welcome back to our second episode of the Chalice Chasers podcast. Today, I'm joined by an individual that is the part of the reason why we are able to keep this league up and running, and it is the LM. And Kevin doesn't need an introduction, but I want to give one just uh, so we can kind of uh, put some things into perspective. So Kevin has four championships in the Chalice Chaser League. That is unheard of and um, a feat in itself. He has nine championship appearances, which again, another just astronomical stat, 11 playoff appearances and 17 total playoff wins. These numbers in themselves speak volumes about his skill when it comes to fantasy baseball. And one of the most important stats that I think um, is in Kevin's resume here is that he is entering his 14th active season playing fantasy baseball. And I'll pass it over to Kevin. Kevin, how old are you? Is 14 active seasons the uh, um, almost half your uh, shelf life? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly half my shelf life. Thanks for the flattering intro. I'm flattered. Isn't that uh, pretty amazing to think about the league's been going for 14 years? Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess we were 14 then most of us when this thing got off the ground uh not many of us still in the league from when that actually happened but yeah i think 14 years old is probably like the earliest kids start getting into fantasy sports uh at least amongst their friends and maybe not with their their parents or you know family members or whatever um i think it's like that first age where you are sort of independent and capable and competent enough where you can slap together your own league get organized invite some people get a draft together it's a lot of logistics that like a 10 year old is not gonna be able to do and i think like 14 is sort of a good age to get started at this stuff but be careful because it's a slippery slope and you'll still be doing it when you're 28 no it's a it's a great slope and uh i couldn't agree with you more there did you know that there's one other individual that has been in the league for 14 years can you name that person I absolutely can name that person. He's the host of this podcast. <laughs> had to get a plug. That had to get a plug in for myself. That's the only. Uh, it's crazy that I even saw that Ari is thirteen years, and some of the others are uh, eleven or twelve. And so it's. Uh, it, I remember. I remember that first draft very vividly when we were. I, I want to say it was eighth, <laughs> eighth grade. I remember. Um, I remember sitting there drafting. And so. Uh, so yeah. First question for you, Kevin. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Uh, um, first question we have here is how did that league kind of come about? I know we discussed this with our last guest. I'm curious how this league uh, got its start. I honestly don't remember. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm sure I, we were all into baseball. Play, we were playing baseball then too. And um, I, I, I honestly, like, I don't have a great story or anything like that. I, I barely, honestly, the only thing I could remember was we had eight people in the league. A lot of them were in our neighborhood or on our street. So it was like very proximity based, right? It was like, can we call this person or go over to their house and get them to literally create an account and join the league? I remember doing a bit of that <laughs> and nobody knew what was going on myself included and the scoring. I don't even know what our scoring settings were. And the only thing I really remember from the draft was accidentally spending a really high pick on um jason schmidt <laughs> that's a name I, I i it was like I, the interface of the draft room i was just completely thrown off and i think i was trying to pick like 
John Schmoltz, and I ended up picking Jason Schmidt when he was on the Dodgers. And I'm looking at it on baseball reference now. He had a 631 ERA uh, that year and 25 innings pitched. So that was probably my second or third round pick. Uh, just a straight flush down the toilet. Looks like he probably had Tommy John that year. Um, and yeah, I think I, I know we know the results of that season. I know Ari won in the championship over me, but I, I that's about all I can tell you. Uh, I, I don't really remember anything else, and we don't have the, the league data either. Got it. So um, I vaguely remember us doing Roto that year, like uh, as standard rotisserie as they come, and then transitioning to points. Do I have that correct, or do you even remember that? Mid-year, you're saying? We transitioned no, to points? No, the following year we went to points. I believe that first year was like a straight rotisserie, and I could be thinking of it wrong. Like we might have always been doing points, but I, I vaguely remember being like just trying to wrap my head around how rotisserie fantasy baseball league worked at the time. Mm, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I would lean towards saying it was points, um, but it, it definitely wasn't the scoring settings that we ended up with, you know, a, even a year or two later. I think we made a lot of adjustments early on. Right. Well, that at the time when we had started that league, you had touched on a little bit how we were all big baseball fans. And I personally have found over the years, I've become more of a fantasy baseball fan than just baseball in general. How would you categorize yourself? Do you think you are just as big as a baseball fan or were you a bigger baseball fan then? I was a way bigger baseball fan. then. that was also like the height of the Phillies becoming interesting. Um, so it was, you know, growing up, it was, and maybe even to this day, still the best Philadelphia sports team we've ever had to root for. Um, when they won the World Series in 08. So, like, it was, like, kind of must-see TV, I feel like, as a teenager watching the Phillies uh, just make the playoffs every year and go on those runs. Um, and I was also playing pretty competitive baseball at that time, so I was really invested there. Um, the fantasy thing was a bit secondary to me. Like, I wanted to win. I was interested in it. But I think over the years, and I've definitely stopped being as much of a straight-up baseball fan. And I'm more interested in it for fantasy. And I think that would change if, like, the Phillies were more relevant. Um, but I, I find it hard to sit through a whole baseball game these days, to be honest, um, with, without any skin in the game for my fantasy team. Um, that's, just, uh, that's just not how I choose to use my free time. Um, but I will watch a game if it's filled with a pitcher, a starting pitcher of mine, or a bunch of my bats. Like, that actually gets me going. But that's the change. And, and I think 10, 14 years ago, I would have just straight up watched a, any baseball game from beginning to end without any sort of incentive. Yeah. It's interesting how that happens over time. And I really appreciate the, uh, uh, the honest response that uh, I feel like uh, I'm curious as time progresses to see if most people uh, say baseball or fantasy baseball. And so uh, again, uh, really appreciate the honesty there Real quick Sunday night baseball's on. Do you still watch Sunday night games? I know you touch on how you don't watch a lot of baseball anymore, but um, like, have you always watched Sunday night games? And I know this is a little bit of a uh, loaded question based off uh, um, the early days of the league and uh, Sunday night baseball. Um, if I'm going to watch a random game, it's probably going to be Sunday night baseball, but um, I, I, I haven't been watching it uh, religiously. No, it's been a while since I've done that. Um, I feel like I, I, the tail end of me sort of seeing it fairly regularly was in college. Uh, where you would have maybe a lot of people together and it's just like something to put on the TV. But uh, I definitely haven't been watching it as much as I used to 
Uh, but, but, you know, they have some good matchups there. Like, they, I feel like, you know, there's interesting, like, where we got Padres, Dodgers tonight. Like, these are, you know, if you're going to watch a game, it's probably that one. So it's, it's, it's sort of the modern-day Yankees, Red Sox. I agree with you. And uh, I, don't, uh, I don't catch many. And uh, it's interesting to hear how you uh, are in the same boat. Um, there was a time, though, where we didn't miss many. And uh, I don't know if that'll ever come around again. Um, it's, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on and Sunday Night Baseball was the thing to do. And so it's cool to hear that you uh, still will tune into those games. So, uh, all right, well, let's bring it into the current day a little bit. And uh, um, maybe we could just kind of dive into fantasy baseball today for you. And um, I'm curious, how has participating in fantasy baseball evolved for you over the years. And what I mean by that is like your style or approach. And um, I have a few more questions on this topic I'd love to get into, but like, what does fantasy baseball look for you now versus what it looked like for you five years ago or even 10 years ago? Um, Good question. 10 years ago, probably not that much prep uh, going into like the draft or anything like that. It was I think a lot more just like gut related and honestly just like clicking on the players or looking at the re- the printouts on draft day. Right. And just seeing like the latest is this guy heard or not. Um, five years ago, I started to streamline it a little bit more and sort of craft, you know, who are the guys I'm really high on? What round can I get them? What, what positions are thin, you know, that sort of was sort of towards the end of points leagues uh, the way I was structuring coming into the draft and I I should also say like there's draft prep but like I think we all know that a lot of these seasons aren't won in the draft they're one how you navigate um navigate like the long season but you know we play like what like 18 or 20 weeks or something like that so how you navigate injuries how you navigate trades the waiver wire things like that so I, I I've come to a point and where I'm trying to obviously hit a home run on the draft and nail it, knock it out of the park. So I don't have to do anything all year. That would be amazing. It never happens like that. Um, but yeah, the, the draft prep is just pure excitement and trying to give yourself the best chance to succeed through the year. Um, and kind of marrying that with some big picture theses you might have. And then the Roto thing is like a totally new ball game, at least for me, like I still don't, totally know what I'm doing in Roto. I I won it two years ago, the first year we did it, but uh, you know, I last year was a short year, but I didn't make the playoffs. Um, This year I put in a good amount of draft prep because I just felt very unprepared uh, both with like the short year last year. Like I didn't know how a lot of guys performed. I didn't know like what a good stat line looked like. Um, And then this year, like trying to create, because you have to create a strategy with Roto. I don't think you can just blindly pick players I used to have a strategy where I would load up on hitters and go late on arms and I could get away with that with our points format. Um, and then I think that I like, I'm, I'm kind of doing the opposite nowadays because of this new format. So I don't really know what, you know, I, I'm constantly tweaking. I, I hadn't been listening to podcasts as much. I would say that's interesting. I, I think uh, that was really helpful for draft day, but I don't listen to like day-to-day updates on things. Um, but yeah, that's that's a long-winded answer for how I'm prepping. No, it's a fantastic answer. And uh, you touched on so many things that we wanted to kind of touch on. And so um, then because you brought up the idea of the Roto or like in our sense, the head-to-head categories, um, 
what do you have an ultimate view on it? Like say next year you had a blank slate and you could do as you please. Um, what would you want to see done or what are areas you like and don't like? About the scoring format? A little bit of the scoring format, um, the strategy involved. Do you enjoy this kind of strategy? Would you prefer it to just be yeah. point strategy? And then um, also, like, let's leave the draft out because we don't. I don't want to get into um, the um, the granular details surrounding like auction style drafts. I want to more keep it to the like the actual game itself. Um, sure. Wh- what about the game that you would maybe change, or what do you like that we currently have going on? Yeah, um, there's a lot of pros and cons, in my opinion. I think that I don't want to do straight-up Roto where you're just counting stats uh, for the year uh, in every category and whoever has the most wins. I I don't think I'd like that. Uh, I don't think the league would like that either. Um, I think there are some really interesting parts of this uh, head-to-head categories that we're doing. I, I think it, like, there's an interesting aspect of just like, you know, you have to craft your team in a way that allows you to win. We have 12 categories. So in a, in a way that allows you to win seven of those or go like six, five and one ultimately to win a playoff game. Um, you have to think about that. You have to think, what are the categories I'm locked for? What are the questionable categories? What am I punting on if anything? And I think like that season long kind of, you know, wrestling with that is, is really interesting. Um, and I, I don't think no, anybody's going to luck into that. Um, I think you have to actually put thought into that. And I think that's really unique and something that is not there in points where in points you could have a team of ball power hitters or all steals guys or however your points format works. Um, I think you can just kind of have, uh, you know, you could be dominant in one thing, potentially win and muscle your way through the whole time, dominant pitching, something like that, but that's never going to work in this head-to-head category. So it forces you to have a, a well-balanced team. I think that's kind of cool. Um, but that said, there, there are some frustrating parts of this setup for me as well. Like, and I, I know you mentioned this earlier, but like I'm playing Danny right now and it's Sunday or we're going, even going into the weekend, Danny had zero, Danny had zero home runs and he was behind me by double digits in runs, RBIs and like over a hundred points and slugging it on base um so i go into the weekend literally like i don't care if anybody hits a home run on my team it's almost like a wasted home run uh it's a really odd feeling where i'm like just rooting for a steal like my whole weekend hinges around getting a steal um so i actually don't really love that um and i feel like guys are having good games and they're just for nothing but like that's the format but um that's something i don't love about this another thing i don't love about this is I haven't yet figured out how to like kind of in real time analyze who like the best players are, who the best teams are. Um, You know, it used to be able to sort things by points, right. Or average points. So you could see, okay, these are the best second baseman averaging the most points or who have accumulated the most points, et cetera. It was, it was a nice easy way to like visually see who's doing what Um, you know, I, I know there's the player rater, but I'm, I haven't totally figured out how that works yet, I guess. Um, And the other thing is like, the matchups during the week are just all over the place. I mean, I think some people really like it, but you're, you could be winning two categories one day, eight the next day. Uh, it's all over the place and it's often never how it's going to end up. Um, I think points is a little easier to track throughout the week. Who's having a good week. Who's having a bad week. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, 
that's how I think about the pros and cons. And I'm still kind of not sure what I want to do in the future yet, but I think this is cool. This is like the second full year we're kind of doing it. Um, third year in total. But you know, I think after this, we should have a good, uh, good feel for what we want. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, that was a fantastic answer. And I think that we have a strong feel of what we don't want. Um, and yeah. uh, uh, it's cool to get your opinion there. And then also how you mentioned how the tracking of the players and the player raider. I know you threw a little shade the other night on the group chat about the player raider, but obviously, you know, it's not, it's not the easiest way to um, quantify who's doing the best. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the league goes. I wanted to kind of get in now a question for you that is uh, takes into consideration sabermetrics and also mm-hmm. our our past league format because I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a little bit of a long winded question. If you can kind of bear with me and if, if you can follow, yeah. And um, I'll try to be as succinct as possible. So I look back on your championship seasons, and one stuck out to me: 2010 team. Too legit to quit because you had Troy <laughs> Tulowitzki. That team name is just absolutely fantastic. Spelled T or spelled two L O JIT to quit. Like just absolutely great. Um, and this team, and this is where the Saber metrics come in. And I want to get your opinion on that. Um, it's interesting that I looked at your top three hitters from that team. Mark Teixeira, who led your team in points. Second on your team in points was Matt Holiday, and third was Troy Tulowitzki. Mark Teixeira had about like 1,100 points, give and take a little bit that year. Matt Holiday came in second with like 900 and some, and Troy Tulowitzki was very close behind Matt Holiday. And my, my question for you is, when I look at the advanced metrics from that year, 2010, and there is the idea of, and we brought it up on the last podcast, um, WRC plus, which is um, a way to kind of quantify a player's total offensive value. It's interesting that those players that I just mentioned, Mark Teixeira, uh, Matt Holiday, and Troy Tulowitzki, their performance ranking in points didn't match the WRC plus. So it's interesting. It's almost like proof that our old setup wasn't perfect and it was very it was very power heavy. Would you not agree? Like Teixeira had the lowest WRC plus, but he scored a hundred more points than everyone else. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. Yeah. That's, that's actually a really good way to put it. I mean, yeah, our, our old scoring was totally out of whack. I mean, those were the days too, where uh, <laughs> we had double plays turned as a point. Um, <laughs> so like Teixeira being a first baseman would get an extra three points a game. If there were three double plays turned because he caught the ball. Um or two again, like on average, right? So, like, I think being a first baseman, like, is artificially inflating your point value there, uh, regardless of what you do at the plate. But yeah, even removing that, like, you know, I, I don't think any of these guys, maybe not Holiday or Tulo, hit for a higher average, but like, you didn't see uh, stolen bases probably from any of those guys. And uh, they weren't like leading the league in batting average or anything. Um, but, you know, they were good players, but it wasn't perfect for sure. No. So it's interesting looking back on it. And um, I'm curious, and this is where my question around the Sabre metrics comes in. Um, these guys were still all studs and their numbers were off the charts that year. Do you think at the time that you were 
even though the advanced metrics were quantifying these things in a much more like precise manner, do you think you were still kind of paying attention to it? Like without kind of knowing you were like, would you, when you would be looking for players, would you be, you know, taking into consideration their, uh, the amount of runs they score or uh, certain aspects of these, you know, advanced metrics? Like, do you think you were doing that at that time a little bit without knowing it? Um, it's a really good question. Um, like maybe a little bit, maybe my feet were in the, like, I, I think like the best thing, like, I feel like the thing that I was doing back then was like really looking at like where people hit in a lineup or how good a lineup was, um, Interesting. or what their ballpark was like, like things like that. I always thought about, and I, I feel like that often helped me like kind of get like good matchups and stuff like that. And I don't think other people were doing that. I mean, Look, we've also, you know, added a lot of like diehard baseball people to our league, and since then, and um, so people that are paying attention more, and maybe there's not as much of an opportunity to capitalize on that as there was. But like, yeah, it, you know, I would say like if I'm picking up a guy off waivers, I'm probably gonna grab some guy who's hitting in a good lineup or something like that, uh, or who's you know playing in Colorado or something like that. Like I was looking at that type of stuff, which I guess you could say is a form of advanced metrics. It's not like something that you're going to see on the back of a baseball card. Um, but it certainly wasn't WRC plus. <laughs> that's, um, that's really fascinating. And I think that makes sense why uh, your uh, record kind of speaks for itself because at the time uh, um, I don't want to speak for all of us. Cause I know other people were uh, much more in tune, but um, ballpark was not getting factored into anything I was thinking about. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot going on that I was thinking about in general, other than names. And so uh um, it's really interesting to hear that you were all, you were kind of on the path of doing that kind of stuff. Then, so then, yeah, what were you going to say? I said, did you look at the WRC plus leaders in 2010? Oh, absolutely not. Um, no, I had a, did you look at them today? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, are you saying you the – who the leader was? No, who was it? Did you? You don't want to take a guess. One guess. I have two guests. Okay, 2010 WRC plus. 175 is the number. Uh, so uh, there's three guys I can think of, but I'm going to start with, because you're asking me specifically, I'm going to start with Hanley Ramirez. Uh, incorrect. Not Miguel, Hanley Ramirez. Miguel Cabrera. Nope, he was three. Albert Pujols. He was five. Incorrect. What? Uh, yeah, so it was Josh Hamilton. Oh, wow. <laughs> Clean Josh Hamilton, right? <laughs> yes. He hit 359. What? Yep. I, I forgot about that. How many bombs did he have that year? 32. So that's a great example, right? I, I don't know if we can see the points, but like. I think we he, can. I can find them. He would probably have less points than somebody who was, let me go down the list. Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn was 19th. He hit two. He hit two sixty with thirty eight homers. I bet you they were pretty similar in points, um, which look, is obviously a flaw. But I'm looking for Josh Hamilton right now. If you can just bear with me for one second, I'm curious to see how many points he had that year. And I don't know. Does that uh, factor in it? Like missed time that stat WRC plus? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I'm wondering if it's like a. Yeah, I'm not let me sure see either. it. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, you have to like go team by team and see who has Josh Hamilton. Yeah, I just I think that everyone's going to be um, chomping at the bit to know where he is and how many points he had. Uh, and so I'm not seeing it yet. Let's see if. <laughs> um, what team was this guy on? Yeah, I know, right? Um, not you lost in the championship that year to uh, Drew Sutliff, J Roll. Oh, I did. I thought, wait, I thought I won that year. Um, or no, I mean, you won. You won. Yes, oh. you're right. Um, I'm going to oh, spend. I, I found Adam Dunn. So Adam Dunn, Adam Dunn had 9.59. So I might be a bit off there. I'm uh, almost thinking that Hamilton might have gotten injured and he was dropped and not on the team. Interesting. So well, how, how many did Adam Dunn have? Can you repeat that again? Yeah, he had 9.59. See, that's that's crazy that you know they didn't have Tashera had way more, and I bet he uh was Tashera had way more. He was Tashera was not even on the first page on Fangraphs here. Um this this is bad radio, but I think no, yeah. So let's Tashera was 35. How about that? Got it. Wow. So let's move on then for the uh, sake of everyone. Uh, last question related to this uh, stat cast and sabermetric revolution. Um, if you were to be a scout on a major league baseball team, yeah, who are you? Are you Jonah Hill or are you Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh, man, two legends. Oof. Um, I'm definitely more Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would hate that. I don't want to be that. I acknowledge that there's shortcomings there. But, uh, I mean, that's who I am today. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of an eye test guy right now. So Makes sense. We'll but I'm the kind of guy where if I'm an eye test guy until you tell me I'm way off on something. And if you have the numbers to back it up, then I can adjust. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's – so I would be a open-minded Philip Seymour Hoffman. An open-minded Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's a, yep. It doesn't get much better than that. I'm going to make that uh, my bio <laughs> on my resume. <laughs> All right. So now it's time to get into uh, 2021 and take a look under the hood of this, uh, this mm-hmm. dub team, which is okay. it's only a couple weeks into the season, and you've already been in the headlines multiple times. And this looks, <laughs> this looks like a classic Kevin team. A lot of players – Really big pitching staff, a lot of bombers. Um, you mind walking me through it a little bit right now? What's what's going on with your team? Anything sticking out? Anything, uh, you know, yeah, you're working big on? Things, big things sticking out is my number one three pick towards Labram partially in the first week of the season. I trade him for Trent Grisham. <laughs> that's, yes. that's the number one thing on the docket, right? I I should be upset at you because I – had to withstand uh, oh, God, two straight really? double dong nights from Fernando Tatis the last two evenings, and Ouch. the uh, the text messages were flying from uh, our uh, our compadre in Los Angeles. But uh, um, before we get into that trade, and we don't necessarily need to get into that trade, it's pretty uh, black and white. Um, question: Let's go back to that draft real quick. You've got the mm-hmm. third pick. Acuna yep. and Betts are off the board. One, yep. did you expect both of them to be off the board? And two, why Tatis over the other guys? Yeah, I didn't expect them both to be off the board. And they were my one and two 
uh, ranks, respectively. I, I was sure about two things in that draft, and it was my top two were Cunha and Betts. Um, and I thought for sure that either Sean or Connor, who were one and two, that one of them would take either Tati, Soto, or Trout. I, that's just – I don't know why I thought that, but I just had a feeling because it felt like there was, like, a lot of guys at the same level. Um, and honestly, the night before, I was like, oh, man, what if – they go one, two. That's who am I going to take? I haven't really thought that deeply about that. Uh, so I was digging into like Tatis, Trout, Soto. Um, and I kind of just sold myself on Tatis just being electric and fun and filling the shortstop position early and getting the steals because, uh, you know, he probably steals the most basis out of those guys. Um, and I, I was hanging my hat on that. And I felt really good about it. And I was happy. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely would have went with Acuna at one and Betts with two. And now looking in retrospect, I think I think I'd be happy if I had taken Trout and just just didn't overthink it and just took him. Um, and I think that's a lesson we should probably all keep in mind going forward. Just probably just just take Trout number one and don't think too much about it. Right. It's um, and he's proven that lesson again. Um, and I'm sure he'll keep doing it. Uh, that's interesting though. That's that's a tough spot to be in because. Um, it's hard. It's hard to make that pick. And uh, I would imagine if you had to do it all over again, not the draft, but how things have unfolded since with the injury, like, do you think your analysis was wrong? On Tati, on the injury? On on your, your perception of the like expected payoff after he went down with that injury and people are starting to talk. Everyone and their mother became a, right. a uh, orthopedic surgeon overnight. Yeah. Um, do you think like looking back, your I still analysis think I was could, wrong? I still think I could be right. I, I think I could win this trade. Um, it's way less fun than I realized it would be. I thought he was probably going to be out for like two or three weeks. Um, maybe even have had a setback. Like this is a really tr- tricky injury. Tim keeps making the Hanley Ramirez comp from 2008 or whatever, but like this, there's not a great track record of this going away completely. Um, and, you know, I've, I've listened to multiple doctors say like, this is the type of injury that comes back faster and faster until you have surgery. It's uh, it's, I heard somebody say, it's like uh, your labrum is like a sweater, a collar of your sweater that you've stretched out. Right. It doesn't like go back. It's all of a sudden you have a stretched out sweater collar. It just keeps getting looser and looser until you fix it with surgery. And that, you know, your, your shoulder can just fly through, fly through that labrum. And I mean, we'll see. I mean, he's he literally I think he has the hardest exit velocity in baseball last year. Uh, so the guy swings really hard. Um, he's clearly fine right now. But all it takes is one for that shoulder to pop out. And the Padres are not going to be taking any risks if that happens again. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, Trent Grisham's pretty good too. I like him, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I'm still going to stand by it right now, but if this goes on for another two or three weeks, the way Tatis is hitting, I'm going to regret it at that point. We'll see. Um, I thought you brought up some very uh, poignant points regarding that uh, you still could be on the right end of this trade and time will tell. And it's going to be one in the trenches, you know, and it's going to be slow and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Here's the that, other question, right? If Tatis is great all year and gets hurt right before the playoffs, 
um, and I'm making the playoffs anyway, would I like, you know, that's something to consider too. Like, you know, if, if, you know, obviously I could be missing out on him getting me into the playoffs by being awesome. But if I can get there without him and he's going to not be there for the playoffs and that Trent Grisham will be there, maybe that's a way I win it as well. But we'll see. I mean, I, there's no way you can tell. I just, I didn't like the injury and I wanted to get something of value for him when I could. That's uh no, it's interesting. And you brought up a great point about how you need your players to be doing the best at like a snapshot of time. It doesn't always yeah. line up with the season, you know, that end of August, beginning of September timeframe. And yeah. you and I have seen it throughout the years, how you can have guys that are number one or two in the season all year long, but those yeah. last couple, those last couple weeks matter. I, um, I've got a lot yeah. to thank to add Alberto Mondesi. Um, I stuck with him all <laughs> last year and it, it worked out. And so I, I learned that for the first time, you've probably seen it multiple times, but, uh, so let's, let's keep moving on then through your team. There's another guy on your team that I got to bring up. And okay. um, I love uh, him now. I was a little skeptical <laughs> of him, but Vladdy Jr. Oh, and Vladito. Vladito. My first question is, I, I haven't been watching too closely him. Yeah, yeah. Does he wear batting gloves? Uh, yeah, he does. He does? I think he does. Um, now I'm questioning, but. I feel like he – I'm just Googling it really quickly, but I'm 90% sure he wears batting gloves. I feel uh, like – Yeah, yeah, he does, he does, he does. If you were Vladdy Jr. Yeah. You can't wear batting gloves, right? Well, how, how about this? I was watching a game, and he got hit by a fastball in the hand like two weeks ago, Ooh. and I was like, great, broken hand, out for six weeks. And his batting glove had a huge pad on it, so that's why I actually remember it. Um, wow. but you know, you know, I think everybody should be wearing batting gloves for that reason. You should have that. How many times have you lost a guy getting hit by a pitch, breaking a wrist or a finger or a hand? Um, it's the worst injury. There's nothing you can do. You're out for at least a month. Um, you know, I think uh, we got, we have to be sit, taking, be taking safety into consideration here. Mr. Yeah, that's, that's, those are, those are wise words. And I, I have had that happen. Uh, you bring up, uh, you bring up a really good point and, um, you know, it's huge that uh, that he had that because you've seen it too. They don't come back the same after those hand no. injuries. It takes so much time. Takes a long time. Did you were you a believer in Vladdy coming into the year? I was, and oh, you um, are. Okay. yeah. So I was for the right price. I thought that the price you paid was around what he was worth, and like in that range, I would have tried to grab him. I believe yeah. he was gone by then. And it was, it was less about him and more about the position scarcity, which is something I normally don't buy into. But first yeah. base is just like, is it thin? yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, the standings currently aren't thin because you got a lot of guys mashing that you never heard of, i.e. most of them are on my team, Jared Walsh, Nate Lowe. Like, let's, Nate see how, Lowe. let's see how long that kind of thing lasts. But no, you know, going into draft day, like there's not a ton of first basemen like there used to be. Yeah, it was, I definitely liked locking that up. But I was nervous. I don't know. I mean, there was this whole launch angle thing. If you want to get the advanced stats, his launch angle, his launch angle last year was four degrees, which is like equivalent to like slap hitters, like a like a David Fletcher, like guys like that, like top of the lineup guys, bottom of the lineup guys. They you know hit single digit home runs. And the last thing I heard with his is it's up to like seventeen or eighteen degrees. That's so big. he made. And there was rumors he was doing it, and then there was rumors saying 
this guy is so good. He doesn't need to change his launch angle, but I think he actually did change the launch angle. Um, and he's just been hitting, hitting the uh, living daylights out of the ball, and it's been great. And he has a lot of good at bats too. When I watch this guy, doesn't swing at bad pitches. Every every at bat, he's getting a pitch to hit. It's it's impressive. It's uh, got great patience.